This is an AMI podcast. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Inclusive design should be at the forefront of any new infrastructure these days. Architects, builders, designers, they all have a responsibility. The CNIB's Clearing Our Path program aims to tackle just that. Sault Ste. Marie community reporter Dorothy McNaughton has more information on the program. Hey, good morning, Dorothy. Good morning, Dave. Dorothy, why did you want to take a little time this morning to highlight CNIB's Clearing Our Path program? Well, for one thing, it's been around quite a long time, and a lot of people don't know about it. Mm. Um, I, I've been aware of it for a long time, and I think it's a, it's an excellent document. Um, it gives organizations that are looking at, you know, designing a new building or renovating, um, looking at what they can do to make it much more inclusive, as you said, for people with vision loss. What I find sometimes with uh, designs of buildings, you know, is they have a bit narrower view of what uh, universal design is, or uh, they they build, they design um, for people with certain disabilities, and people with vision loss are sometimes left out of the picture, so to speak. So um, when I was uh, working with uh, another person on the local accessibility advisory committee and looking at the new bus terminal that they haven't built yet here it's it's on hold but um an architect had designed it but there were certain things i felt that they hadn't taken into account so i sent this document to the accessibility coordinator she really really appreciated it and i highlighted what kinds of things were missing what, what was missing dorothy um, I would say the biggest thing that I found was um, like navigation aids such as um, texture on the floor, um, like being able to wayfind once you got off a bus yeah. to, to get into the terminal and then find your way around the terminal um, and find your way to the washrooms, find your way to the counter. Um, there was nothing. Yeah, I, it's something that I've noticed as well, Dorothy, that it seems like they have these narrow focuses, like you pointed out before. They think of accessibility as a checklist. Oh, we've got a ramp, we're all good. We've got an accessible washroom, we're all good. Like, let alone the quality of your PA speaker. So if you're gonna be doing audible announcements, I can actually understand what you're saying uh, in terms of any kind of quality like that or wayfinding. Yes. You know, yes, so I, was exactly. talk, I was talking to somebody uh, who's a regular user of the Toronto subway recently, and they were pointing out, there's really no markers on where the subway doors are going to open and this seems like a really basic thing montreal does it vancouver does it you'd think the biggest city in canada would kind of have that figured out yes and that's where best practices come into account and that's where this kind of document is really really helpful yeah like i think i think we should all send it to our municipalities when they're looking at building or renovating uh, buildings that are used a lot by the public and, and I mean, they have to follow regulations, uh, you know, in many provinces, as Megan was talking about, for accessibility standards. Well, you know, it doesn't necessarily cover all the detail that this kind of a document does. You know, it talks about accessible bus shelters even and 
cueing lines and like very, very detailed, which I really appreciate it. I think it's a great document and it's all online for people to access. Yeah, it's, it's at the CNIB's website, cnib.ca. I'm not going to read the whole uh, URL here because we'll be here for the rest of the hour if I do that. <laughs> it will go up on the blog after the show, ami.ca. But I would also imagine if you punched in CNIB clearing our path document into your Google machine, I suspect a couple links will, uh, will get you pretty close to where you want to go. But ami.ca slash now, cnib.ca, or uh, try to punch it into the old Google machine. Dorothy, I'm 100% on board with you in terms of getting this document into the hands of civil engineers and city planning yep. departments. But I would also mm -hmm. love to see this brought forward to a lot of uh, university design classes. I know that people like uh, Thea Curdy, formerly uh, of her company, used to be doing going to architectural classes and saying, here are universal standards, universal design, design standards, and teaching classes about this. I would love for a document like this to essentially be a reading, to essentially be a module or, 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 or one week's worth of classes for these architectural students. Yeah, I, I agree 100%. Architects and engineers, they, they should know more about this kind of thing. Yeah, 100%. Speaking of getting great contributions from the community in regards to projects, the accessibility coordinator in the Sioux is asking locals mm -hmm. to participate in website testing. You're involved in this, Dorothy. Surprise, surprise. What has your experience been like so far? Well, it's actually not ready to be tested yet, uh, nor is the... Um, the website for Ontario Northland, which Marcy Yale from AABC and myself will be testing. Um, I wanted to get across the point that beta testing of websites by people with disability is critical. Um, it isn't, we can't rely on a website designer to say, yes, this website is totally accessible without it being tested by users. So, Dorothy, what do you think folks can do to push organizations to include more user testing for their websites early in the process as opposed to late in the process? That's a really good point. That That's the key. Um, I think it's just if we use a certain website or we use, let's say, a, the city transit website, for example, so the city's website, um, we need to be in touch with the city to say, you know, are you looking at revising your website anytime soon? And if you are, um, you know, I'm someone in the disability community that is really concerned that the website be totally accessible. So through the city, through the city's accessibility coordinator, if your city has one, some of the smaller cities don't, um, to, to say, look, um, to explain to them why it's so important that particularly for people with screen readers that, you know, if you're putting all this money into uh, revising or s designing an entirely new website, make sure it's totally accessible. And I think that's a point we have to get across yeah. to a lot of organizations. Um, with Ontario Northland, I'm very fortunate. I'm the chair of the Accessibility Advisory Committee for Ontario Northland, and Marcy Yale's also on that committee, as I mentioned, and they want us to test their website. That's going to be pretty soon uh, before it goes live, and boy, do I appreciate that. Yeah, it's not 1999 anymore. People aren't <laughs> yeah. building uh, websites with GeoCities and AngelFire and basic HTML code. The standards exist. 
to create accessible right. websites. It's not rocket science. So yeah, the, the patience at this point for companies sort of trotting out uh, incomplete or inaccessible websites uh, is definitely a running out at this juncture. Dorothy, speaking of technology, the Northern Ontario Rural Get Together with Technology Group is hosting another session this month. In fact, it's happening tonight. Dorothy, what's on top? What's on deck for tonight? Well, as you know, and I speak about it often, we base uh, what the topic is on what people in the group need help with. So uh, we had quite the discussion last time about the new iOS 16 coming out. And a lot of people were either leery about it or had already downloaded it and were having difficulty with it. So Elmer Thiessen from BC, who's one of our regular group and is often someone who speaks about a topic, he's going to be there to answer questions. He's tested it out already. He's looked at different bugs and what the fixes are. And, um, and then other people in the group, as always, contribute their experiences. And so... Um, since it's pretty new and a lot of people might have difficulty with it, it's a great opportunity to to learn how to um, how to get through those challenging little little quirks, you know. Mm -hmm. Well, if you want to be part of this introductory session on iOS 17, uh, you can contact David Green at the Canadian Council of the Blind in Ottawa, david.gtt at ccbnational.net, david.gtt at ccbnational.net. And again, that event is tonight, October the 17th at 7 p.m. Eastern time. Hey, Dorothy, one last piece of housekeeping on the way out of here. Happy 47th anniversary. Oh my gosh, You're, thank you so much. Yes, my husband and I have been together a long time. Maybe, maybe I shouldn't have said that number out loud. I apologize, I'm no, sorry. Okay. No, no, no problem. I, we, we actually celebrated in Niagara Falls. Oh, that's lovely. Well, Dorothy, congratulations. Yes. Uh, lovely news, always great to hear from you. Thank have a you. wonderful day and we'll talk to you in a couple weeks. You bet. Thanks, Dave. That's Dorothy McNaughton, community reporter in Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario. Don't forget the blog address if you want more information on those stories, ami.ca slash now, ami.ca slash now. In a moment, Laura Bain will share the entertainment report. But first, the war in Israel has put a spotlight on disinformation across social media. Mike Dubusky has more in Tech Trends. Zoe Schiffer of Platformer says a number of new social platforms have emerged since Elon Musk took over Twitter, but several of them, particularly Threads, an offshoot of Instagram, still don't include some popular features focused on news, such as trending topics. Part of the reason that they are being very slow to roll out things like trending topics that would be very useful in a moment of crisis is that they do not want to do that if it's going to invite a lot of disinformation because those things can be manipulated. But she says Threads has distinguished itself in recent days. Search function isn't great. Trending topics don't exist yet. Hashtags do not exist. And yet it has one thing that X does not have right now, which is that it is not a wash in disinformation. And in a moment of crisis, that's worth a lot. With Tech Trends, I'm Mike Dubusky, ABC News. Thank you very much, Mike. Let's head over to Laura Bain for the entertainment report. Laura, this first one for you is coming from the world of personal experience. Yeah, you know, I'm starting things off with some opera, Dave. So starting it off a little bit, <laughs> a little bit strange. On, but, on a uh, high note, on a high note, if you will. Uh, but on bump. Um, 
Yeah, so this weekend I had a chance to check out the world premiere of February the Opera. So this was put on by Opera on the Avalon uh, out of St. John's, Newfoundland. So I was streaming this performance. And this was based on the book by Lisa Moore, Canadian author of the same name. Uh, and if that sounds familiar to folks, it did win the CBC Canada Reads book competition back in 2013. So this opera was a collaboration between Moore and American opera composer Laura Kaminsky and it's a fictionalized story based on the aftermath of the real-life tragedy of the Ocean Ranger uh, which if you're not familiar that was an offshore oil rig that sank off the coast of St. John's back in 1982 following a Valentine's Day storm and it all 84 crew members on board were were killed mm. um, so the, re the reason I wanted to bring this forward I'm not an opera buff I do like opera I have a couple of opera records actually in my collection but <laughs> I, th I think people tend to think of opera as being kind of highfalutin or like a little bit inaccessible oh for um, sure for sure. Yeah, like, you know, I, I think about the opera is you've got to put the tuxedo on to go see that one can't show up <laughs> or in your jeans and a t-shirt yeah, you know, and it's often not in not in English, and um, like the stories tend to be a little bit older. But this was so cool because it was that classic opera sound with the vibrato, and you know the performers just using their lung power to to amplify their voices. But they were singing lines like, you know, "Hey, didn't we agree to keep this relationship casual?" Um, <laughs> or, <laughs> "Oh, do you think the baby will be a boy or a girl or non-binary?" So I just thought that that was so cool, and and maybe a way to bring people into a genre that they wouldn't uh, normally explore. Like, like making it more colloquial, right? Making it more just sort of understandable to people. Like you said, the language yeah. side of it. The reality is I'm not going to go spend $100 to go listen to something in Italian for two hours. I don't speak Italian. Yeah, exactly. I really like that word colloquial because that was how it felt. It felt very everyday. Um, so, you know, it, it also incorporated elements of Newfoundland culture. There was some fiddle music and step dancing in one scene. Um, it was really funny in parts, but um, overall it was a pretty, um, it was a story about grief and this family coming to terms with the loss of mm. this character, Cal, who was a husband and father um, who, who died on the rig. And, and I thought it was so cool, actually. He stayed present in the performance, um, but he was lit in blue, uh, which signified that he was, uh, you know, speaking from beyond the grave, but also blue like like the ocean because he he drowned in the ocean, whereas the other characters were were warm. So, oh, interesting. Um, yeah, it was it was very poignant. Um, but, uh, you know, this is something they only have the two performances in St. John's uh, kind of scheduled for, for the moment that happened last weekend, but they want to bring it to a national audience to highlight this piece of history that still really resonates uh, for many in Newfoundland. But also, uh, you know, it, it, this, it really feels very modern in terms of the climate crisis and the okay, role of yeah. oil extraction. And there's one character in particular who's really wrestling throughout with, uh, you know, with kind of moral dilemmas there. But Dave, I want to pose a question for you, which is what book, TV show or movie would you like to see turn? turn into an offer what would, what would get your bum in the seat well, well you kind of have this like dramatic story lined up here that like is very sincere and honest in its exploration of, of canadian history can i be like a little bit of a jerk about it and say give me an operatic rendition of the oc the teen dramedy from 2003 it's actually it's a 20 year anniversary this year of the show's debut the show was very musical and it was very dramatic so why not turn it into an opera i would i would go watch the oc opera uh, spectacular 
the opera yeah, sea. <laughs> I would go see that as well. Um, and, and thinking about this for myself, I'm going to go back to a conversation you and I had last week. I think any season of Love is Blind oh. really lends <laughs> itself to <laughs> opera. I mean, think about it. You've got the hair, the makeup, the big personalities, you know, the the drama. So uh, I think, well, any reality dating <laughs> show, but maybe especially Love is Blind would be La really interesting. <laughs> Laura, I was not expecting that. I was not expecting the reality TV opera, although people do refer to reality TV as soap operas. So like there could be something there. Laura, got to be a little quick on this last thought here, but you had a chance to watch this opera digitally. And this has become a little more standard here, especially since the pandemic, where there were a lot of streamed concerts or streamed events. It's not exclusive to the pandemic. It certainly existed before the pandemic. But what is becoming your preference, the in-person experience or the at-home, on-your-couch experience? Uh, you know, I got to be honest that watching it from the couch is just so accessible in so many ways and it does open up things that are maybe not happening in your region but I do feel like there would have been something powerful about seeing this in person with the St. John's audience I'm trying to get myself out more to concerts and things like that so I think there's like the aspirational answer which is in person and it does bring something but then there's also that accessibility and ease of just watching watching yeah. something at home the, the sharing of the air being in a space means something when the lights drop down and you feel that rush through the crowd it's as the time a concert starts you cannot replicate that at home you cannot get those goosebumps at home but laura i also have found it somewhat appealing to watch these concerts at home or shows at home with one caveat the audio and video quality has to be there. That was one of the things during a lot of those early 2020 shows that I found mm -hmm. unbearable because the audio was so bad and the video was so bad. Whereas if you look at what Coachella does with their free live streams of their music festival every spring, the audio and video is impeccable. The quality is amazing. So if you give me the quality, I will take my couch. Yeah, and you know, this was good. It could have been better on some of the like choruses. You did lose a little bit of the words, but I loved, I could actually zoom in on the performers' faces, oh, cool. which is something I couldn't have done if I'd been in the audience. So, um, you know, that's a big part of a lot of performances as well as those facial expressions. So it did open that up for me. Laura, thank you for this. It's great to have you on board as the entertainment reporter on the show. You're going to do a great job, and you brought it with a big high note on the first one. That was very <laughs> nice. Hopefully this isn't the crescendo on your first day. Boy, I sure hope not. Uh, thanks, <laughs> thanks, Dave. <laughs> we'll and I will see. stop with the puns. We'll see about that. Coming up after the break, a couple of regional news stories and Brock Richardson with a sports chat. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Hi, I'm Red Sale, inviting you to download the latest episode of My Life in Books, where internationally acclaimed authors discuss their lives, their work, and three books that have resonated with them. That's My Life in Books, available wherever you get your AMI podcasts. <laughs> 